writers, agents, and publishers, for the first time since the Gutenberg Press, find themselves lost in a maze of mystery as technology alters the shape of the publishing industry. Searching for Answers is a group of writers throwing pop culture, writing, and publishing into a crucible of clarity, passion, and humor. This group is the right pack. Welcome back to Right Pack Radio. This is your host, David Allen Lucas, author of various different topics. And today, um, I'm going to give everybody who's listening to us a warning of spoilers. Yes, we are going to be talking about various books, like we always do, various TV shows, various movies, but some of the stuff we're going to be talking about, actually all the stuff we're going to be talking about, may fall underneath the word of spoiler alert. So, anyway... Before we get to it, with me today is... Kathleen Kayembe, co-host, Kiseka and Vita, pen name Writer Under, and <laughs> Person of Things. Wow. Nice. <laughs> I'm a writer of things, you're a person of things. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, Brad R. Cook, uh, author of The Iron Horseman, uh, which is a steampunk novel that's coming out. And if this airs anytime around uh, December 3rd, come on over here to STL Books, and we'll be signing with... Uh, Cole Gibson and T.W. Finley. Yay. Yeah, actually, I think this will come out right before December 3rd because it should come out with the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Sweet. Sweet. Hey, come on down to STL Books. Two right pack members. Yes. Great. Um, my name is Jennifer Stolzer. I'm a children's book illustrator and author of YA Fantasy. I'm Meredith Teat. I write speculative YA and NA. Fedora Amos. I write Victorian whodunits like Jack the Ripper in St. Louis, and I'm president of Greater St. Louis Sisters in Crime. I'm Melanie Colaney, and I'm sorry, every time I hear N.A., I think no answer instead of new adult. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I write nonfiction, science fiction, and fantasy, and I'm not talking like Yoda today, so, you know. Yay. Mm -hmm. Why not? Talk like Yoda? (laughs) Why not today? Sorry. Moving right along, because that was horribly done. I was going to say, wouldn't yeah. it be today? Why not? Yeah, yeah. yeah I kind of screwed it up. And now we're arguing about it. Yes. Yes. Instead, instead, we're not going to be talking about an entire um, episode about Yoda's grammar. But it or... applies in to the way, topic, because it sucked as all could be when Yoda died. Yeah! So <laughs> what is our topic today? Our but, topic is rest in peace. When your favorite characters die. Now... We're going to talk about this from a couple of angles. One, when we're reading a book, watching a TV TV show, or watching a movie, and suddenly our favorite character dies. And how does that actually make you feel as a viewer or as part of the audience? The other part is the part we get to play with as writers. How How do we feel when we have to kill off one of our favorite characters in the story because the story demands it? So with that... I'm going to kick kick this off to everybody. You're going you're kicking the bucket on your. Topic I'm, I'm kicking the bucket on the topic. Uh, how just... how do you feel when one of your favorite characters dies in the story? Well, I'd like to start with an historical example, which is, of course, Sherlock Holmes. Yes, mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes was killed off by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, mm-hmm. and of course, immediately there was a great hullabaloo about having killed off their favorite person. It became so bad and so loud that even though Doyle did not want to write another Sherlock Holmes, he had to invent a way to bring him back and have more stories. So people really do get very enthusiastic about the characters they love and won't let them go. Mm-hmm. That's a perfect example. And also, also a warning to anybody who's writing a serious character. Love your character because, yeah, look what happened to Conan Doyle. <laughs> He's Arthur Conan Doyle is what happened to Conan Doyle. Hmm. Yes, well, he's a Conan Doyle. Anyway. Sir. Sir. Exactly. I'm sorry, I was very American there leaving off his um, (laughs) title. But yes, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Okay, I'm going to admit to this group. I admitted to it offline. I'm going to admit to the entire world that when I was 12 or 13 and Wrath of Khan came out and Spock was killed off, yes, Silent little tears were going down my cheek Aww. as I watched that occur. But they fired him off to Genesis. They they did. <laughs> but actually, that wasn't figured out until, yeah. as far as the writing part's concerned, until later in the script. 
They, Spock was actually going to be dead. Leonard Nimoy was tired yeah. of playing Spock. So he actually kind of had a Arthur Conan moment, Arthur Conan Doyle moment, where he didn't want to play this character anymore, and yeah. Couldn't let the coolest guy on the ship go? <laughs> yeah. That didn't happen too well. It wasn't so much that Spock was the coolest guy on the ship. It was that Spock and Kirk were the coolest duo in the universe. Yes. People wanted Spock back because Spock was cool, but also because they wanted that relationship yes. to continue. Which is kind of where my feelings on killing characters go. Uh, I identify very strongly when a character is loved by their fellow characters. And not just the audience and not just me. Because if someone kills someone that I love, it hurts, but they're a fictional character. But if someone kills someone that's another character in the book loves, okay. then all I'm thinking is, they miss them. This hurts. <clears throat> this is terrible. I feel like I've lost my husband, girlfriend, brother, parents, because I'm watching this other person deal with that loss. And that's what hurts me more than just watching a fictional character. Because in the end, a fictional character is just words on paper, but in that universe, yeah. they're a full person. That's true. And we're attached. Yes. And it, if the character... That, I think that's a clue right there is the author slash screenplay writer, whatever, is not doing their job in a good way, you could care less that character died. Mm-hmm. Though if they've done it correctly, you care. Um, I was thinking in terms of my, my reaction to deaths um, varies greatly depending on how it's handled in the story. I think that if... It's a way that I almost see it coming, but it's still a surprise, um, kind of a serious black thing. Then I get very, very sad. But then if it's more of a shock out of nowhere, looking at you, George R. R. Martin, then <laughs> I get pretty mad. And I think that that, but I mean, I think in the same way, the author succeeded because it's still a reaction. It's still an emotional reaction. But I think my reaction to what they wrote depends greatly on kind of how it was handled. For me, it's all about attachment, and I will throw out my total geek card here, and when I was younger and reading the Dragonlance Chronicles, I threw the book across the room when Stern Brightblade was killed. Uh, I had grown so attached to the character that when I read that, I, I couldn't handle it, and I literally just threw the book across the room because I was so ticked off. Uh, obviously, it was probably an emotional overreaction, um, but you know, that's the way you get tied into characters sometimes. Uh, you know, still to this day, Larry Elmore's uh, portrait of that, the painting of the death of Sturm, is, geez, one of my faves. I didn't quite want to throw the book across the room, but yeah, I think I stared at that page for a good five minutes going, what the hell? Yeah, it was not cool. What happened? Um, he dies a super heroic death, if you haven't seen it. <laughs> I think this ties into experience. Our experience of the character is basically what all of these fall under. Um, when a story gives us the experience of this character's life or the people who love them and we feel connected, that's what we're mourning, I think. Well, it can go both ways because, you know, to quote George R. R. Martin there, uh, some of the people who have died in Game of Thrones I have been shocked by and then others I have been completely elated by. Uh, <laughs> looking at you, Joffrey, so... Um, could not die fast enough. But yeah, so... You know, it, it can go both ways. Like, I can almost be cheering and rooting that that guy just died. But usually, if I'm super attached, then it's it's an emotional wrenching moment. Well, let me give you two let me give you two examples that follow along exactly with what you're saying, Brad. And there are completely different genres, completely different characters. Let's talk about one where everybody rooted. At least I know everybody rooted in the theater when I went to see this. Jurassic Park. <laughs> okay, Tyrannosaurus Rex is getting loose. The lawyer runs out of the car and into the local latrine. He left us. He, yeah, he left, left us. us. And he's hiding in the latrine. Here comes Tyrannosaurus Rex, knocks over the building, and the guy's like, ah, ah. and Tyrannosaurus Rex looks at him and goes, hmm, you're tasty. Yump! And takes him. And the entire crowd in the theater. <laughs> Erupts in applause. Y'all yes. missed a, a reenactment, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> that was hilarious. In the other version, in a different storyline, and Jen, I'm sorry, you're, I am going to spoiler alert you. Okay. Because I have recently hooked Jen on the fantastic TV series, Babylon 5. Yep, watching Babylon 5, only super late to the show. <laughs> and you haven't even met this character yet, but yeah, it's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> So, um, Close do the, your ears now. Do the oh, setup. Okay. 
a character um, who is a ranger. Um, oh. oh, Marcus. Yeah, Marcus. Yeah, one who I definitely related to a Not lot. Cool. Yeah, Marcus is in love with Ivanova, who is the second in command of Babylon Five. She gets injured. She, in fact, she is on her deathbed, and Marcus. He never has been with anybody. And you can take that for exactly what I mean. Hmm. And there's a machine that transfers life force from one person to another. He discovers it. And he dies transferring his life force to her to bring her back to life. That's so sweet. Yeah, yeah and it, it was is. just a season two early. He was robbed out of season five because the actress that played Ivanova wanted to leave the series. Oh. Well, actually, in all honesty... They didn't know they were going to have a season well, five. Well, that too, but yeah. At the time. So there's, a two, there's two different examples, and you are meant to mourn for Marcus as he's dying, making this huge sacrifice towards mm-hmm. another character. I'm just going to throw out uh, another similar uh, with Darth Maul. <laughs> so, I mean, hey, never laugh. He's the greatest part of that movie. Uh, but anyway. Liam Neeson's beard was the greatest part. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I cringe at the Darth Maul part, but, but when I'm he gets cut it. in half, that's the part I cringe at. I'll explain. So that. Go when on. he gets cut in half, yeah, I, I know the reason why. <laughs> oh, you told me. I told no, you. no, no. I, well, I well, already. It's you know. Anyway, it's be going, yeah. thing, point being is that I then that moment in the theater, I cheered because it was awesome. Uh huh. And then afterwards, I lamented it because. Now we didn't have a cool Sith anymore for the entire rest of the series. Yes, no we had, that one. But we had Dracula instead. Dark Tyrannus, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The part where I mourned it, no, oh, I saw you. Um, I wanted is, I was movie. putting up with the entire first movie up to that part. Finally, the sword fight breaks out. We get the lightsaber fight. It's good. Yay. I'm finally excited into it, and the film melted right as he got cut in half. Ooh, That's right, I remember you talking about it. Cut yeah. it super hard. It <laughs> melted yeah, the film. Hard. so hard the movie broke apart. Anyway, Fedora, go ahead. That's pretty awesome. Oh, by the way, the reason I was talking about it is because there's a spray so the that comes out, mm-hmm. and a lot of people have said there would never be a spray because it instantly cauterizes as it cuts mm-hmm. through. Exactly. Yeah, well. That's what He's the fanboys throw out. evil Sith, and therefore... That was his hate goo. Uh, yeah, yes. his hate goo. His hate goo can't be cauterized. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, apparently someone, I didn't see this, but someone else in the theater where I was there, another showing of it, got the uncut version of Darth Maul, where he falls and doesn't fall in half. Oh, that's the weird. The uncut. uncut. Yes, the uncut version. That was Literally. good. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Fedora. I think that there are all or nothing characters. Mm-hmm. I, you know, write Victorian whodunits, and so, of course, I, re- I watch television shows that have Victorian kind of stuff in them, mm-hmm. and one that I watched was Ripper Street, and I never ah, yes. liked it all that much because I thought it was too dark. Why did I think it was too dark? Well, let's start with Matthew McFadden, who played Detective Reed, and he was a smart guy, but kind of a creep. And then there was Jerome Flynn, who was the muscle, also a creep, a major creep. <laughs> there was Mayanna Bernie, who was a hooker. And then there was Fred Best. Now, names don't get much more symbolic than that, do they? <laughs> well, he suffered along through 14 episodes and was the only character to root for. And they killed him off. Hmm. And that was the last episode I ever saw or ever will see. Because <laughs> there is nobody now to like at all. <laughs> Do you get the feeling they did it because they wanted to show you what a hard world it was and nothing is good and redeeming and... Well, I, no, I think you can shoot yourself in the foot when you do that yeah, kind of that's thing. A, because yes. there has to be a hero. There has to be somebody to root for. You can't kill off the one they love. Yeah. Well, I feel like the you only can kill off every one of his everybody friends. Everybody else you yeah. could kill. It's kind of funny. I'm going to jump in right at that, and then I'll get you here. Since you're talking about Matthew McFadden, I'm going to jump right into one of his series, one of the ones I first saw, where no character was safe at all. It was MI5, what we called in America MI5. Its original title in Britain was Spooks. They transferred the name to MI5 because there's this racial connotation with that word over here. But Spooks actually would have fit because it's a story of spies, and spies are spooks. And the series starts off with the three um, main spies. Matthew McFadden ends up walking away from his um, career in the story. 
and he was kind of, as you said, he was kind of a jerk, kind of a creepy jerk, and yet he was... That's his specialty. Yeah, that really is his specialty. <laughs> it is. And then um, another character, Danny, um, sacrifices himself, gets killed off to protect another agent. Um, one of the IT people die in the first four seasons, and it gets hung by other agents. And another agent ends up having to sacrifice herself and fake her own death in order to get out of the life and save MI5. But one thing that always happened in MI5 is no character was ever safe. Second, It was a joke on the first two seasons that every time that the season starts, your second episode had somebody die. First season... Who was a spy? Who was a spy, um, first season um, was a woman who is a spoiler, as we said at the beginning. Uh, she wanted to be in the field. She had been mostly a office worker. She teams up with Matthew McFadden's character and they infiltrate a white supremacy group. They get found out. And the white supremacy group leader, to force Matthew McFadden's character to try to talk, ends up putting this woman's head into a fry fryer. Ugh. Yeah. Of course, that... That's the, too the, yeah, it was yeah. really gruesome. You didn't get to see all of it, thank God, but yeah. And, and of course, she gets shot and mercifully killed. Um, another one, everybody remember Deep Space Nine, uh, Dr. Bashir. I, sorry, I can't think of his. Julian. Well, what, Julian Bashir was Julian the name Bashir. Of the character. Yeah, well, I'm trying to think of the character, the actor's real name. Aye. And sorry. I can't think. Anyway, everybody remembers him. There's another episode, season two, season two episode two. The Nest of Angels. This character comes over. He's come out of Algeria. If I remember. Oh, that actor plays the character. Yeah, he, the actor plays the character. Comes out of Algeria to expose a terrorist plan to blow up London using kids with suicide vests. And in the end, MI5, of course, is having trouble believing he's who he really is. He's really his turncoat. And in the end, he... He's trying to talk a kid out of doing self-sacrifice. He ends up having to grab the kid and hold him as the kid sets off the bomb. And, of course, boom. I'm sensing a theme with episode two. <laughs> that was a joke for a while. Dangerous. Red shirts and episode two. Just avoid them all. Yes. So Okay, so let me change this. Oh, no, I'm sorry. You had, you had your hand well, up. I said something kind of random to say. And I okay. was just thinking about how when a death a well-done death scene can actually be part of the character's arc as a whole and how yes. it can kind of change the viewer or reader's opinion. And I was thinking specifically, this is a tiny spoiler, but it's not a major character, but um, Battlestar Galactica, the character Cat, I hated Cat. She drove me nuts. This woman's arrogant. She is just rude. She's a show-off. She doesn't take orders from anybody, and I could not stand her. And then she ends up... Um, when these people are in trouble, she ends up essentially risking her life and dying to save um, a bunch of civilians. And to me, that really dramatically changed my opinion of her. And that was also kind of her arc as a character, is her development, because we learn a little bit about her backstory, how she was kind of into drug trafficking and stuff like that. And to me, it just the fact that they used that death scene kind of really changed my opinion. I'd like to ask more about that, actually. Yeah. Because that seemed like a, a character that you didn't like, but then her death made her a more worthy character for you to like. Redemption through Redemption, death. because yeah. it was almost like, for her, she felt like she needed to pay that price, which um, obviously, I mean, she didn't. Like, nobody had asked her to do that, um, and not to go into specifics of the episode, but most of the characters had these little wristbands that showed when their radiation was getting too high. And then when hers was too high, she um, swapped it for a clean one without telling anyone so that she could still go back and save more civilians. So it kind of showed her, like, still using that sneaky side from her past, but to help people. And that really changed my opinion. And that, too, can be a very good reversal, which is an excellent yeah. technique to use. Uh -huh. Yeah, very much so. There's a book by Charles Delint called Spirits in the Wires. It was brilliant. Charles Delint happens to break my heart every book, but it's so worth it every time. He writes urban fantasy, mythic fantasy. He was one of the people who uh, kind of began what then became a genre. Um, but in Spirits in the Wires, these people are in fairy, but like a kind of computerized version, I think. And there's a character traveling along with them that got pulled in that nobody likes. He is 
All those things that that cat character was. All of those things. Him, check, check, check. Arrogant, just awful. And he was the kind of person that I maybe had a lot of thoughts of, please just push him off the path. He'll get lost. You'll never find him again. And it'll be so much nicer for all of you. <laughs> you know? And there came a point near the climax of the story where they realized one of them would have to stay behind. That was the only way the rest of them would get out. And he volunteered. And that changed my entire view of him. Suddenly, he was someone worth saving to me. Instead of losing accidentally so on purpose, <laughs> he was worth all the trouble he'd been to everyone. And I want to know about characters like that. The, the redemption through death or self-sacrifice. The, the things that make a death really matter. What are some for you guys? What has made a death matter? Well, a typical one, I think, is one that's used very often. That is a character that's likable who becomes mortally wounded or terribly ill and has a deathbed scene that is very moving. Mm -hmm. It's maybe a gimmick of sorts, but nonetheless, it is moving. It does test the emotions and is therefore certainly a good thing to have in your stock of tools, in your toolbox. Agreed. Draco Malfoy. <laughs> he doesn't die. No, he didn't die. But the, the subject of redemption, just immediately, that was my thought um, after the first guy, the jerk that needed to be shoved off the path. What he, he did didn't. in book seven, I like all the feels. His entire When he family. doesn't turn the man, I was like, I got all teary. His entire family. Like, we're psychopaths, yeah. <laughs> they were psychopaths who loved each other. They weren't psychopaths. So then they weren't psychopaths. They weren't, <laughs> yeah. they weren't they were sociopaths. Death. They were yeah. psychopaths. They, the, the thing is that they even though they were, they were terrible that. people, yeah. they were terrible people, but I could, I could love them because they loved each other so fiercely. They mm. were willing to go against everything you had seen them rooting for for seven books. They had redeeming qualities and they had depth to them. They did. That was interesting. These people have redeeming qualities. When someone has no redeeming qualities, I'm like, push them off. And push even off. in the end, when um, Narcissa Malfoy, kind of, you see her, she bends over, they think yeah. Harry's dead, and she whispers to him, because in that moment, knowing whether her son is alive is more important than mm -hmm. fulfilling her or quote-unquote duty to Voldemort. Yeah. Well, actually, she, she wants to turn on him anyway, but she's like, if, she, if her son's still alive, she has a reason to yeah. turn on him. But, see, that's the thing. She, she's going to check to see if he's dead, but first she wants news about her family, her son. Mm -hmm. If he's alive... That's the only thing that really matters to her. Well, I think a lot of times, too, it depends on the genre, but the way the death occurs shows not just more about the character, but also about what the stakes are that are going on. Okay, I'm going to go back to Rathacon, then I'm going to go jump to Babylon 5. Um, well, real quick. Go just ahead. because it so goes into redeeming uh, the Langoliers, I'm pretty sure that's the right Stephen King novel. Okay. Is that the one where the fuzzballs eat time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Langoliers. But, uh, Spoiler yes. alert, the fuzzballs eat time. Yeah, but It's as stupid as it sounds. I don't remember the name of this character, um, but point is, near the end of the movie, oh, actually there's several deaths in this movie, let's not forget, but the one I'm thinking of... Stephen King. Yeah, it's Stephen King. But there's the annoying character that ends up shooting the little girl, and um, the little girl tells someone else that, you know, don't kill him, we need him alive. So the hero leaves the guy alive, and he doesn't do it on purpose, but he goes off and he mentally, I mean, not well, he thinks he's confronting his father and saying to his father what he never could in his life, hmm. and uh, that's his hallucination right before the... The fuzzy time balls eat them, so the flame can get away. That now he's not sacrificing himself for everybody else because he has no idea what he's doing. He's crazy, but it is sort of like he gets. You get to see why he's crazy, I guess. You learn the depth to his character. He's more yeah. than just a surface dweller. He becomes yeah. an actual character in the story. Can yeah, we yes. talk reasons for killing characters off mm. that we've well, noticed? That's, that's what I was going to get to. Is as an author, 
What are some of your reasons? Have you have you has anyone here at around this table not killed off a character in any of your stories? I've not. I've <laughs> written a character specifically to kill them and then not done it because I got too attached. Now wait a minute! I heard you uh, talking. Oh, I can't wait till I kill this character. Of course, they're all ghosts. Well, no, you. Well, I'm writing a ghost story and I'm excited to kill my favorite character because then he actually gets to become my favorite character. So, he gets see, to be a ghost. You killed characters. It's not the same thing though. It's not what we're talking about. Yeah, I'm so talking that, about that a character. Continues on. He actually, you know, like. He doesn't. He doesn't die because he's. I would he's, like to doesn't pass on. I was talking about a character I'd written specifically for the purpose of sacrificial lambing them later, and realizing that I didn't want to anymore. There was too much more I could do with them, so I kept them alive and wrote a different ending for their little story. Threadcaster. It was not in Threadcaster. No. Different story. Threadcaster is my unpublished novel that hopefully someday I'll be able to sell to you guys. <laughs> But speaking of reasons to kill people, sacrificial lamb. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just thinking in terms of reasons in Star Wars. I mean, the old Star Wars movies, think about what Yoda and Obi-Wan's deaths did for Luke's character. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of the losing that mentor role kind of forced him um, onto his own and to become a Jedi. And if those two mentors hadn't died, that wouldn't have happened. Yes. Agreed. I was actually going to throw out that I think as a writer and when we approach death, I, I think a character's death kind of has to have some meaning. There has to be a reason for it. Otherwise whether it feels unfair. Yeah, whether it's <laughs> the loss of a mentor in order to push him forward, whether it's, you know, any number of, like, possibilities, but as long as there has to be a reason for that death. Otherwise, it's meaningless. There are some deaths, I think, it, it, it again goes not just into the reason for the death, but how it is executed. Because there are some deaths that I There's think... There's the cheap death, you yeah. know, where you, you, you feel that they should have died better. Like, I, I know what they were going for, but it didn't quite work. May I offer an example? <laughs> yes. Yes. It's not the one you're thinking of. Oh, <laughs> this is intriguing. Shia LaBeouf and Constantine. <laughs> oh my god, yes. <laughs> Oh, I forgot who was oh, no, It is the weirdest oh. death ever. You're like, okay, here's the next prodigal, whatever. And then boom, he gets. Just... He just gets. He gets smashed to death against the ceiling. Yeah, it's so. <laughs> and it's supposed to be a dramatic moment, but the way they executed it made it the funniest thing <laughs> in the entire world. It just, yeah, it did not really happen the way. It was very strange, and it was a poor decision. It could have been played for drama, but someone yeah, along the totally line was not capable of doing that. Constantine is about a demon hunter. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now you know. All right, sorry. So, keep, who, we were finishing an idea that I interrupted with an anecdote. Uh, uh, stakes and deaths that are handled terribly. You know what they were going for, but you really wish they hadn't tried because they failed. Yes. Well, speaking as a mystery writer, there has to be a precipitating event. And death is one of the best of those because it is automatically important. Mm-hmm. And you may not know why it's important mm-hmm. at the outset, but eventually you will. And it will be solved in some fashion because the key to enjoying mystery is justice. There should be some justice eventually down the road for this death. But essentially, it's a plot point. And I think there's nothing wrong with that either. I do want to point out um, about the the plot point thing. I think that's very important in mysteries. But there are some times when death is used in a tropey way that is Mm -hmm. damaging. Um, go on Wikipedia or go on Google, look up women in refrigerators. Anita Sarkeesian, uh, on the YouTube channel, Feminist Frequency has an amazing, uh, tropes versus women series of videos. And one of them is about the women in refrigerators trope, wherein a female character will be killed off by the author, oftentimes off screen. So you won't even see their death. You'll just find out about it. So that the male characters she's connected to can have uh, character growth, can have a stronger story arc. So there was the example that I see everywhere about, um, was it Gwen Stacy who dies? Yes. Yes. Mm Spider-Man. Yes. And uh, Elektra dies, so Daredevil Mm -hmm. perks up. Mm -hmm. And it happens a lot in superhero comic books, but it happens elsewhere too. 
It's, a lot of places. It's used. It's a weakness in writing male character as well mm-hmm. because the the point is the male characters don't have enough to motivate themselves, so they sacrifice their girlfriend or their mother or whatever their child child exactly it's like so they the only way to affect him is by hurting his loved ones because there's not enough character there to work with that you could hurt him directly (laughs) kind of a sidebar staying on this and i'm going to turn it over to you when we recorded weeks ago about strong female characters or something like that um there was a this was when the movie equalizer had just come out i just saw denzel washington and they were BBC was doing an interview with Denzel Washington, and they were talking about how the female character, the prostitute who gets beat up, blah blah blah, and it causes him to go ahead and leave his brand new life he's recreated, and kind of sort of slip into his old life where he's this action hero, going around. And the interviewer's like, "Well, did you not know that was kind of a overdone trope?" Blah blah. blah. He's like, "No, I hadn't heard of this." Blah blah. Well. And that's not exactly his real words, but that's what he didn't he say blah, blah, blah. He didn't say blah, blah, blah. Uh. But anyway, there is, you talked about, Kathleen, a video series. There is a website also that's the Women in Refrigerators. This is what it's based on. And it lists, literally, a huge list of every time it's been done and all the different ways it's been done and all the tropes. Started by Gail Simone. I believe Colin so, Primer. yes. So if you haven't ever heard of this, Google it and and apply it to your own writing. And then, or I, I know it, people I are probably going to be defensive about it because men die too. Well, the men reason it's too. a trope <laughs> is because it happens so much more often. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, that would be a spoiler about the equalizer, so I won't say it. But um, going switching the subject, I, I totally totally agree, and that is really irritating to me too. I was thinking about um, we were talking about kind of unrealistic deaths and how they can kind of hurt hurt the the show or mm-hmm. the or the book. I was thinking kind of unrealistic not deaths. And in terms of um I won't go I'll skip my whole rant, but breaking dawn for Twilight <laughs> Book uh. makes me so angry. And the reason why is because we spend the entire book and this is like a five hundred page book building up to this big battle, this final battle that's gonna happen between the Dies Volturi and um, the Cullens and the vampires just spent the entire book building up to it and then when you finally finally meet in the woods nothing happens because they realize that it's for the best that they don't do it and in an interview stephanie meyer said that she did this because she didn't want to kill off the characters and she realized that if they got into a battle that characters would die and she didn't want to do that and i mean that's fine if that's what she wanted to do but to me that was that ruined the entire like series because i was like that's so unrealistic that that would happen if you didn't want to kill your characters then you shouldn't have built up to a giant battle yeah exactly because your readers are going to miss the big payoff which they're expecting exactly so how did you react i'm guessing you've seen the movie then the film for that i finally did like whenever it came out like a year later Mm -hmm. um and i did the same thing i know i know that they made that weird change in the movie and the same thing i was like this is so stupid it was one of the more creative means of trying to fix it in post, though. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, basically, in the movie, what they do is they do have the battle scene, but then it turns out that it was just a vision of what would have happened if they had the battle. So there's still no battle, but they do show a battle for, I guess, a cinematic effect. Yeah. Yes. But it made me so angry when I read that. I was like, I feel like this whole series was just a waste. And so the, those of us who hadn't actually read betrayed. the book would just be like... <gasps> They just ripped off my favorite character's head. Oh my god. He was the only good character in that show. He really was. <laughs> Him and Mustache Dad. <laughs> yes, they were. Yeah, I'm going to keep my personal opinion. Uh, having only seen 12 seconds of New Moon and go, oh my god. That's all you need. Watch yeah. the Spoonie, watch the spoonie reviews. Jen introduced me to Spoonie. And his reviews of those movies are amazing. Spoonie's a web reviewer, yeah. Okay. Uh, he does a good job. Board Vulture is a well, series a somebody of, needs to make. a lot to be said for all of the discussion you're having here. I'm sure she'd love it because if it raises that much controversy, it's got to be good for business. Yeah, exactly. There can be something for controversy. Yeah, as said before on this broadcast, we can make fun of Twilight till the cows come home, but she's richer than any of us could ever dream to be. Exactly. Oh, we can dream to be that rich. <laughs> what did you mean by all or nothing characters earlier, Fedora? That, as I said, with the Ripper Street one, when they killed off poor old Fred... I just lost all interest in it. I didn't deliberately say, oh, Fred is gone. I can't watch it anymore. But that is, I never watched it again. 
And they did a few more episodes, but I think it actually killed it. It's gone now, I believe. And I've, not coming back. All or I nothing so. is they're all bad or they're all good. There's no in between. Well, like, no, there's, that, there's at least one character that you can be fully invested in. Yep. And yeah. if that character goes, then the whole thing implodes. I think the term all or nothing all or nothing is being applied as in you as a viewer. Ah, right. Yeah, right. it's not it's not the all or nothing character. It's no. that that character to Fedora in that instance was all or nothing. Right. Without them there was nothing left yeah. for her because to come back to. Usually it's going to be your hero. Usually it would be Inspector Reed. Uh-huh. But he was not likable. Uh-huh. I couldn't get to know him. I didn't <laughs> care for him. I didn't care if he died. You wouldn't have missed him if he was gone, went. right? <laughs> So, um, what do you think the intention of killing off that character was? Did it work? Sounds like no. It seemed to me that they had run out of ideas, and the only one they had was to kill off Fred, because there had to be something else they could have done that would have been more sensible if they wanted to keep the series going. TV shows are different, because a lot of times the character might die on a TV show, because that Mm -hmm. actor's moving on, or Mm -hmm. any number of reasons. So, you know, in TV especially... Deaths can be used. I mean, look at soap operas. Or, yeah. Character dies. Bring it back up. Recast. Oh, kill him again yeah. next week. Plastic surgery. Well, I don't think David Dawson was that famous. I don't, no, think, no, I don't think that was a reason. How do you guys react to death spoilers? I don't like death spoilers. It depends on the circumstances. I've, uh, I'm currently reading a, a book series, and when I found out, spoiled, that my favorite character was going to die, I was like, not interested. Thanks, though. And I haven't picked up the next book yet still. Sorry, that was my input. By the by, Jen all summer has been reading these books. Mm-hmm. Like, someone who reads a lot of books very quickly at once and was all in. <laughs> who didn't read much before then, either. No, you devoured them. It was pretty cool. But then suddenly, yep. you were so excited for the internet for the is one. so cruel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that reminded me. I was spoiled for the end of Animorphs. Oh, okay. still haven't read the last books. I'm going to do one more, and then I want to ju- then I want to change direction. Go ahead. I actually wrote a whole blog entry on this because that's how just angry it made me. And then one time last year, I was on Twitter just scrolling down my feed when all of a sudden somebody posts on Twitter, "I love blank Game of Thrones character. Too bad that you're going to die in the next episode." And I lost it. And I, I actually tweeted back to them. And I was like, you know, you didn't need to post that. Like, what did you gain out of that? And he was like, well, the books have been out for 10 years. So, and that really makes me mad because I don't care how long the books have been out. If someone's still enjoying something for the first time, why go out of your way for no reason to spoil that? That's my rant. Sorry. It was a current, uh, it was current for a lot of exactly. people. And exactly. doing it right before the episode came out was not and cool. To use that as an excuse. Yeah. like. Because because I've read Harry Potter and know that like we all spoiler alert like Dumbledore dies that doesn't mean if I see someone reading the books for the first time I have the right to go in their face and tell them that because they've been out for ten years like no there was soul a crushing riot. to so many there children just riot. run on Dumbledore dies yeah there was a riot away. in a bookstore when it came out and somebody flipped through and was I like saw Dumbledore that. it's a video on YouTube. Oh, it's a video? There's one, this guy drives by the line of people waiting for the book, rolls down his window, and screams, Snape kills Dumbledore, and to the whole line of people waiting for the book. Did I they mob so him? Angry. Because that oh my God. They started the freaking out and screaming. Look it up. Well, there, are, there are also people who love to do graffiti and throw bricks through yeah. windows yeah. and burn houses down. Some people just, just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> yeah. yes. Thank you, Joker. Spoilers are jokers. <clears throat> so let me change. Let me try and go back into a different direction on the death part. How do you as an author, or how have you, as an author, handled giving a good death to a character? And has it broken your heart to kill off one of your favorite characters? I was just going to say, so, in my very first novel, uh, my favorite character in the entire book uh, is a dwarf, and uh, got through the entire book, and then I decided that I would give him the grand death. And uh, to this day, it's the only thing I've ever written that's made people cry. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, hopefully I can release that one day and it'll be a big spoiler alert now, but yeah. I doubt it. Uh, but yeah, so I, I've done it. I've given the hero's death. And then um, actually in Iron Horseman, there's a character that dies um, a little unintentionally. Uh, he was possibly going to be, you know, there was, there was word about him at the end, but... Uh, Apparently that got edited out, so <laughs> now he's dead dead, so we'll have to see what happens in the future. In my book, Love and Wrath, with less than three press, um, 
in, I think it's the second chapter. <laughs> Oops. Chapter mm. two, episode two. Okay. Um, a character I introduced um, at the beginning of the book who I modeled a lot like me, and don't read too much into this, guys, who I modeled a lot like me gets killed. Uh, horribly. <laughs> and uh, it shows you, basically, what I did, what I did it for was to show what the bad characters in the story were capable of, what the weaponry they were using was, and why it was so dangerous to have. And um, what happens to people in this book can happen to people in this book that we like. So that's why I killed her off. And I was amused because my sister was the one that pointed out she was like me. It's like, oops, <laughs> too bad. <laughs> I like doing it. I, that sounds mm-hmm. stupid, probably. Yeah. But no. Sorry, high five from Cole Mystery Writer. Yes. <laughs> Thank yes. you for your honesty. Because Killing characters can be fun. It is. Because there are lots of reasons why. Because you can kill off your boss or whoever is, is, <laughs> is making your life miserable at the moment. You can do that. Yeah. And, you know, you're never going to get arrested for doing it on paper. But anyway. <laughs> but, oh, uh, watch lists. <laughs> you have to kill off some characters. And I plan it from the very beginning. So it doesn't occur to me then that it would upset anybody. Okay? Mm-hmm. Because in mysteries, there it is. Okay? <laughs> but what surprises me, or maybe it shouldn't anymore, I don't know, is once that it comes out, then people respond to it and say, oh, why did you kill off so-and-so? I liked him. And I have no answer, so if you've got one for me, I'd love to hear it. He was marked for death, as the the bard would say. (laughs) Well, we have characters out there that have to die. Yes. I mean, you know, in in Iron Horseman, uh, you know, not only is the death significant, but then it goes on to be a... A galvanizing force for my character and is what forces him to kind of grow up, become a man, and take responsibility. So you have the reasoning, but then it can also be just, you know, that character needs to die because that's the way the story's going. I mean, sometimes I feel like George R. R. Martin's just flipping a coin. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, a so lot of the Harvey deaths. In the background. You know, okay. Well, a lot of his deaths actually have meaning. Sometimes it's to completely screw up the world. You know, like, uh, you know, infamously the Red Wedding. I mean, The Red Wedding, you had read books about these characters, their lives, their arcs. We were waiting for a long time for certain things to happen. And then The Red Wedding happened, and the entire world gets reset. And now I am in an entirely different book. And, and death can do that. You know, and death can also be funny, or it can be crazy, or it can be show something. Like, you used it to show weapons. You know, I had it, there's a sword fight, and you know, somebody's got to die. Yeah, um... I was reading a book by Charlene Harris. It's one she wrote really early in her career. I don't remember the name, but it was the Aurora Tea Garden series. And I'm convinced she she kills her main character's husband. And I'm convinced he dies simply because the character had outlived her usefulness. And she wanted her main character to grow in a different way and thought she'd grow better as a widow than married to this other guy. Yeah. It's a man in the refrigerator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And it, he wasn't murdered, even. I think he... I, it's been too long since I've read the book, but he died of a heart attack, and he couldn't get to the hospital because someone had cut the phone line or something. I forget. But yeah. How searched. unlucky. Yeah. Well, it was the bad guy that cut the line, telephone lines, you know. I'm going to turn it over to you, but before I do, I want to say, go back to Fedora for just a moment. And talk about Eileen Dreyer, who's a f- who now she yep. writes um, romance, but she wrote mystery. But she always wrote romance. Yeah, that's where she started. That's where she started. Okay, well, and she had her first several books. I forget how many on the fa- on the mystery side. She took her real life ex husband and was basically killing him off in the books Ooh. multiple times. And it turns out he became a fan of hers. So that's kind of <laughs> go ahead. Exercising demons. Yes. Um. Dora, you said something that piqued my interest about um, you you always knew you were going to kill these characters and this mystery that happens. But is that experience different if you're a plotter versus a pantser? Like, what if you don't know when you start writing a character that they have to die? Well, I guess it depends on on your methodology of how you go about it. But as for me, there are certain things that I have to know before I can start. And one of them is the first key plot point, which is probably going to be a death or tragedy or or something peculiar, somebody getting shot at, you know. I have to know that before I can start. True. No, was you don't know what really was going to be right. the crux. In uh, the sequel, or, yeah, the sequel to Iron Horseman, 
Yeah, the first part of it is actually a murder mystery. So I have literally gone through and plotted out each person who's going to die and how that affects the arc and, you know, move that along. But, you know, and, and there are other people who will probably die throughout it, but that's all planned out. I think for a pantser, though, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it could be a surprise. I almost don't know if I could handle that if I had written, you know, like all of this and then all of a sudden I realized this character has to die. That could be emotionally mm. wrenching. Well, I don't have a problem with who has to die. It's the the thing that intrigues me is who the killer is, yes. and mm-hmm. I can't t- let myself figure that out until very late. In the okay, book. good. Or point. I can't possibly create really believable suspects. The way I've always looked at this, I'm going to take a sidebar. I think I've talked about this play on Right Pack Radio. I may not have. I know I've talked about with the Right Pack outside of. There's a version of the Three Musketeers. Where Alexander Dumas, he's hired to write The Three Musketeers, which was done in serial in, pay, in newspapers. Gee, a whole big change from what life used to be to nowadays. And he's getting paid, of course, by the word or by the story. And if you remember in the movie or in the books where they are um, sieging the town with the Huguenots. I forget the name of the town. New Rochelle. Thank you. <laughs> and the Huguenots come running out. And in the play version I'm talking about, they kill all four of the Musketeers. And Alexander Dumas' character walks out on stage. And this is me thinking as a pantser, back in my days, uh, pantsing. He comes out on stage and goes, No, I've got 100,000 more words to write. They can't die yet. And he walks off. And one of the four, I want to say Parthos, I think it was Parthos, I forget which one, anyway, stands up. Pulls a pike out of him and goes, I don't know about you guys, but I think I died rather well. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw a, a recorded version of this, so yeah. somewhere there must be a movie with this, this scene in it. I... So, yeah, I think that happens. I think when being a former pantser, a reformed pantser, <laughs> yeah. um, come to the dark side. Yeah, I've pantsing gone to the dark side not... of plotting. Well, I've had to go pantsing because of pantsing things in my life. It's not a problem. I've had to go plotting. It is a different way of working. It really is. It really is. And I had to, I had to go to the dark side of plotting because of things I had to deal with. Um, but what I was going to say is you get to that point where you write and it's like, oh, God, I just killed a. Oh my god, I just killed off his character. What the hell am I doing? <laughs> Why is he dead? You know, no! you guys just gave me a great idea. I'm currently writing a story, and there are certain people that are probably going to die, and there are certain people that's like, oh no, they can't die because mm. of such and such. But it's like, oh, wait a minute, what if I kill him? I hadn't considered that before. Mm-hmm. Well, George R. R. Martin would tell you the best thing you could do is kill off the character you shouldn't kill off. Yes. Mm. Uh... I think that was the very first death that really mattered in um, to me in Game of Thrones was Eddard Stark. Mm. That was the death that my friend told me when she gave me her book to read was going to make me throw the book across the room. I didn't, thank you. I'm not that mean to books. <laughs> but I knew why she had done it herself. <laughs> you can only do that if you're clever enough to get out of it because yes. you're painting yourself into a corner. But see, the reason Eddard died, I thought when I read it, was to let you know that nobody in this world was safe. Mm-hmm. So, And it, it worked very well. It did. Very well. Yeah. Like, the fact that when Red Wedding happened, I still didn't expect it just shows that I guess I had gotten too comfortable thinking, okay, those happen, but it won't happen again. Because this world, these people are definitely safe now. No. No one is safe. His world is a dangerous world, and it hammered right in. This is, uh, see, this is telling me something about me as a reader and a writer. That kind of a fact is going to keep me away from that book series. <laughs> that's okay. It's, it's not for everyone. And that's why I have trouble killing off characters in my stories. I write stories specifically so that I don't have to kill characters that I love because I want to read books and I want to be to create books where people feel like it's safe to have a fun time. There's drama. I'll do stuff to people. I'll take uh, everything you love and break it over my knee but I do want there to be at least something to smile about in there as well. And if I take a, a price, I want to make sure that my characters feel like they've come out ahead in the end. Just because that's the kind of escapism I enjoy. Does that tie into your relationship focus? 
You mean like in real life? No, in, uh, in your book. <laughs> so are we psychoanalyzing? Well, you know? You're saying it's that you cared about a death because the characters cared Exactly, yes. Yeah. It's like, I will, if someone dies, it'll hurt. But I'm not gonna... It's gonna have to be for a very good literary reason. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna have to not break me in two as a writer. I know it hurts, like, killing Dumbledore I know was important. And it hurt, uh, it hurt JK a lot. But she was able to use him, use that death to develop her characters and turn them into better people and better protagonists for her seventh book. And in the end, she's happy with where it ends, and I think everyone's happy with where it ends with the excuse of exclusion of a couple dead people that I'm still not over. But yeah, Dumbledore uh, needed to die. Yes, that like that was a good death, and Sirius Black was a good death. Yeah. I understand why those people died, and while that sucked, I was able to accept them because it was executed well, and I could see the reason why that happened and they were the significant portion of that book like at the end of each book this character died and we had a proper mourning for them and we had it had the impact i felt it needed on the other characters in the story as well as me you know i wanted us to sit around and say wow Sirius black was my only chance at having a home life you know because i'm harry potter in this situation (laughs) um you know, I was going to live with him, and we were going to be happy, and now I have to go back to the stupid Dursleys, and this last shred of my parents, you know, he was Harry's godfather. Basically, he was the one who was supposed to take Harry in when his parents died, if they died. Well, they did. And now Sirius is going to try his best to be that person to Harry, and now Harry doesn't get that. you got to take away his parents twice, and there you go. Mm-hmm. And that sucks, and you feel that, and Harry feels that, and we watch Harry feel that, and we feel that with Harry, and it helps us get through that loss, mm-hmm. too. So, I am I am a plotter, and in my real life as well, I like to think that everything happens for a reason. So, that's me. Well, and everything should happen for a reason. You, that death needs book. to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah in a book. Not in, real. No, no, no. In a book, you should probably do it for a reason. But they're really kind of two things. I mean... The reason why George R. R. Martin can kill off a character, and as you, you know, as Fedora said, <clears throat> continue on and find a way out, is because he has enough cool characters that the loss of one, you have <laughs> others several. to focus on. Uh-huh. <clears throat> but if you have a central character, you can't necessarily do that. So you can't kill off Philip K. Dick, no. or you know, you can't kill off Harry Potter. You I can't screwed kill that off. Yeah, the okay. best one. Yeah. He's the only likable one there. Exactly. You can't kill off Harry Potter. Yeah, everyone needs that central focus. Um, going off of that, I think that an author can kill off a main character, but they have to be prepared for the consequences. And I think an example, and I have not read these books, but um, the Divergent series, I have heard the spoiler in them, and I, I won't give it away, but a major character does die. And I have friends who said that that was their favorite book series, and then when they read that, they said, no, I hate these, I'm not going to see the movies, and they just said, no, I couldn't handle that. So I think, as an author, you have to realize that if you are going to take that risk and kill one of your main characters, it is going to affect your readers, and if you can pull it off, great, but just to keep that in mind, that you do have people who love these characters, and they are your readers. You might even need a back door to bring them back to life. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully, by the time no one will remember this when this book gets done eventually, because I set it aside for a while. But I have a book that's, you know, point of view, like multiple points of view, and I kill off my point of view characters quite a bit. <laughs> and there's something that no one's going to pick up on quite a while, but every point of view character, except for one, eventually becomes captain of the spaceship. And like I said, I have a lot of point of view characters, and guess what's happening to the other captains? <laughs> Real quick, I'm going to throw out there some of my favorite death scenes uh, for all of you who know, and have probably done this too, uh, in your choose-your-own-adventure books. Die the end, and then you'd flip back and take the other way. Choose-your-own-adventure is great for killing characters uh-huh. yes. and it's readers fun. all the time. <laughs> what I Choose-your-own-adventure, you always know that there is a slim chance you won't die. You mm-hmm. see your death coming. You can flip back and choose the other way. Yeah, but what about other... Other things that we have read or seen and enjoyed, where you've seen a death coming, like you just call it. Cough, cough, Avengers. Cough, cough. <laughs> <laughs> Which part? <laughs> I think we can spoil the Avengers, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just gonna be spoiled. Yeah. Um, the minute that 
uh, Phil Coulson came on and everyone loved him, I looked at my wristwatch and said, how long? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we just needed to create the hashtag Coulson Lives, that's all. Yeah, well, we fought to bring him back. But I knew because everyone was like, you know, he had he was cute with the whole trading card thing, and yes. Tony was calling him by his quote unquote first name. His first name is Agent, right? Yeah. You know, and he was friends with Pepper on the side, and they had this girlfriend they didn't know, cello player that he was dating. And I'm like, oh my gosh, everything's going his way. He's gonna get murdered. Because <laughs> I, I know Joss Whedon, and I've seen him write before. <laughs> there is a term. It is called Jost. Jost. The character gets Jost. You yeah. love him, he dies. It's uh, you gotta identify the puppy and wait for him to murder the puppy. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I like I like deaths that are ironic. <laughs> One of my favorites is Romeo and Juliet. No. What can you say no? Oh. No, I love uh, it. The one I mourn so the most in yeah. Romeo and Juliet was Mercutio. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. that's ironic also. Uh-huh. Yes. I don't know. I've always been a fan of the. I don't know if this is how it was done historically, but definitely in the story of Anthony and Cleopatra. Anthony's led to believe Cleopatra's dead, so he so he does a normal fall on the sword, and turns out she's alive. And at the moment, eventually, she'll take the asps. This happened a lot in history. Yes. Yes. And in Romeo and Juliet, I didn't like it any more than in history. Yeah. (laughs) Well, have you? There's the Romeo plus Juliet. I think it's the Boslerman movie of that? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, yes. Where literally... Leonardo DiCaprio? You are, yes, yes. Leonardo DiCaprio, Boswell. Claire Danes. She is apparently dead, but she's starting to twitch. Yes. And he looks everywhere but wherever she is twitching and kills himself. And she wakes up as he's like... He, his life has just ended. Yes. Just ended. Like, really? I call that the uh, American Tale effect. Because an American Tale was... Uh, a horrible torture slog of near misses when he's when Fievel the Mouse is looking for his family in the big city of New York yes. and he's always shows up two seconds too late. I was gonna, as a little kid, I never wanted to watch that movie again because it made me too anxious. <laughs> Talking about ironic death, and I don't know if this really happened in history or not. It was written by Robert Graves in Claudius the God. Um, and Robert Graves took the works of Suetonius, which was a philosopher, historian from back then, who... Who we've mentioned in an episode. We mm-hmm. have mentioned him in an episode. And he had access to all the royal diaries. So, which makes access, makes kind of like maybe happened. Um, as the history goes on, Claudius, who is the fourth emperor after Caesar, Caesar never was emperor when he was alive, um, he wanted, I think he was fourth. Anyway, he wanted to restore Rome back to the Republic, but he knew he couldn't do that when he was alive. So he married his niece. Yes, this is Rome, guys. It's royalty. That's all you need to yeah. know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Whose son was Nero. And his idea was that Nero would be the inheritor and be so bad that the Romans would kill him and go become a Republican. That's pretty dirty. <clears throat> yeah, that's pretty dirty. Didn't work out that way. Well, they got he did get the assassination, but he, Claudius himself was supposedly, in the book anyway, assassinated by his wife slash niece yes. by having poisoned mushrooms on his plate hmm. and offering him the plate. And, no, and, of course, he purposely took the mushroom knowing he's going to die hmm. with this whole entire plot in place. So the irony is, yeah, he did set up the next emperor to die, but you know, so much for that. After a nice little fire. I yeah. hope you're happy, sir. I hope you're happy. What about the person who's running... Okay, we were talking about this a little bit before um, we started recording. Prometheus. <laughs> the person running who doesn't veer right or left when there is a giant ship coming to kill her. It's a donut. Yes. It's a death donut. It's a death donut. <laughs> All I'm going to say on the martial artist in me is, how, what's the fastest way to outrun a train? Step off the damn track. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. I... There was a lot wrong with that movie. Yes. That was one of the big ones, though. Yeah, that so they don't the use logic. The point is this character has... To, the problem is they're thinking that the plot point is this character dies, and they don't take enough time figuring out how they die. It's the other way around, and rather. Does this situation call for a death? No. We want a death. So how does it happen? That's like, how you don't handle a death crisis. <laughs> Yeah, it's Just, ridiculous. Well, it's for the sake it's, of a death. Look at the name, mm-hmm. Prometheus. 
Prometheus who gets his wife killed by looking back when he's told not to. That was really stupid. That's Orpheus. Yeah, Prometheus was fire. Yeah, Prometheus was bringing fire out or something. Yeah, that's gross. But that works too. He brought fire, and now we're doing. It was kind of the same idea, wasn't it? Yeah. Am I totally off of? That's it's okay. Right. Prometheus had so many plot holes I could drive the... <laughs> a donut-shaped ship through them. <laughs> no, I could, I could even do better than that. The dock carrier brings a rocket out of NASA's hangar into launch position. I could drive that through the plot holes. <laughs> Very slowly. Very slowly. <laughs> Was the donut ship a metaphor for the plot? <sighs> yes, yeah, so there's a big hole in the middle and it kept rolling so I shouldn't have. And it it killed all sorts of characters that should have been smarter than they were. Yeah. yeah, that is one thing. The death should be set up in a way that it makes sense. Someone died. Uh, in the end, books are tiny little worlds, and yes. everyone should behave as humans would in their everyday life inside those worlds. And when they don't, we notice because we're aware of what it's like to be a human alive in a world. And when they do something heroic, we notice. The, and the they fastest do way stupid that we notice. The fastest way to become my favorite character is to take a bullet for somebody. Because that selfless, selflessness is, uh, is... You have a, to jump in front of someone to take the bullet. It can't be accidental. No, that wouldn't, that wouldn't work. Yeah. No. Yeah. The point is that being selfless we, it brings us right around to the beginning of our conversation today. Uh-huh. Is that the reason why they did it is far more important than the fact that they died. Mm-hmm. And I think on that note, we will end this episode. That was a perfect final line. <laughs> so tune in next week for the next episode of Right Pack Radio. And have a great writing week. The Right Pack would like to thank STL Books for allowing us to record in their bookstore. STL Books and Gifts is St. Louis's newest independent bookstore with an emphasis on fine literature for adults and children and the most comprehensive selection of St. Louis books available anywhere. Visit them online at stlbooks.com or in person at 100 West Jefferson Avenue, Kirkwood, Missouri, 63122. Tune in next week as the Right Pack will conquer yet another pondering issue in the writing industry. Theme songs for Right Pack Radio were written and performed by Meredith Tate. All copyrights remain with her.